Well, hey, um, we have a guest speaker this morning. If you have been around Hope for a little while, you've met uh, Dave Johnson before. In fact, this is his fourth year running where he has uh, been here at Hope. Our history goes way back um, a few decades to when I was in Bible college, uh, and I attended Church of the Open Door for a while. It radically changed my life. That's our church back in Minnesota. Um, later on, I worked at that church, but over this last decade, uh, especially, Dave um, and his wife, Bonnie, they've become friends, uh, mentors, and again, this is their fourth year here. Last year, we had more planned, but there was this weird thing called, what was it called? COVID? There's, yeah, it's weird. So, never heard of it, right? Yeah. So, um, but out of that, um, you might have seen some books on the way in. Dave just finished a book that he wrote in this last year, which is really, really excellent. It's called Gasping for Breath. You can get it on Amazon, um, but we have some copies out here in the lobby as well that you can purchase. Um, he probably didn't want me to do that commercial, but I just did. So, um, and by the way, just buy the book. You don't have to read it. You could if you want. Just buy the book, right? Just... There you go. There's the shameless plug. Um, but, uh, but seriously, though, J Jim Lane and I both, uh, these, these folks here are just mentors to us. And I would not be who I am today if not for the ministry of Dave and Bonnie Johnson. And he has a word for us today. So will you buckle up and give him a warm Hope Covenant Church welcome? Am I on now? I'm at? I am? Okay. Ah, it is uh, actually delightful to be back with you. There are a few places that I feel more at home than Open Door. Um, this is a place I feel very much at home. And because of Jim and Sarah, Heidi and Doug, the connection is pretty significant. And so it feels like a privilege to be here. And when I come, I think a lot about what I want to talk about. And I brought some things to talk about. And then I came to church last Sunday, and some things shifted right here last Sunday. As Doug introduced us to a part of the Lord's Prayer, dealing with forgiveness. If you were here, you undoubtedly remember it. Acknowledging and affirming the universal need that all of us have, not only to be forgiven, we're kind of dialed into how much we need that, but also to forgive. And so we pray this way, Lord, forgive us our sins as we also Forgive because we're not only sinners who need forgiveness, we have been sinned against as well. Not only perpetrators of sin, we are victims of other people's sin. Not only have we harmed, and we're aware of how we've harmed, but we have been harmed. Not only debtors are we, but we have debtors too. People who in some sense owe us. Something. An apology would be nice. I think you owe me an apology, at least. Interesting, um, there's at least three different renderings of this particular verse, Matthew 12, verse, Matthew 6, verse 12. Lord, forgive us our sins. Uh, that's the one I think you guys have kind of landed on. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Lord, forgive us our debts, which is the New American Standard Version interpretation 
The debt thing is interesting, opens up uh, kind of interesting nuances because it's a monetary term, obviously, dealing with finance. In the context of finance, we all understand this thing about a debt because we all know what it means to be in debt, to have a debt. Uh, if you have a mortgage or a car payment or a credit card, you owe someone money, and the rules are pretty simple. When it comes to things like that, if you have a debt, you pay your debt. Real clean, real, real clear. Um, and you can test that if you want. Just go to the bank, uh, maybe call your credit card company this afternoon and just simply explain, I can pay them. <laughs> not gonna do it. Don't feel like doing it. It's kind of cramping my lifestyle a little bit over here, stressing me out, so I'm not gonna pay. Is that okay? Not okay, probably not. Because people who loan money um, are kind of touchy about that. So they keep very close accounts and they send you little notes, little love notes to remind you, might even call you on the phone or send a guy named Guido for a personal visit to your house, simply to you know, encourage you a little bit to pay, usually with what? Interest. Because they don't want you to just pay what you owe, they want more. Sometimes a lot more. And there's a word for that. Um, for people who charge exorbitant interest on what has been borrowed, it's, in a, it's an aquatic term, an animal metaphor. We call them loan sharks. They're, they're, they're not the lone bunny, um, not the lone puppy. They're a lone shark, and they have one simple rule. <laughs> you have a debt, you pay your debt, but they want more, a lot more. And it's only right to pay your debt. It's only fair. You made the deal, but now, but now you have a debt you can't pay. In Jesus' day, this was a common occurrence. In fact, the scriptures speak to it and even helps us understand some of the things that Jesus says about money and debt, but also what it means to be redeemed because you had a debt you couldn't pay, and here I am. That's the whole point of our salvation. But in, in, in Jesus' day, there were people who often, uh, because of predatory, predatory lending, would often not be able to pay their debt and they'd be thrown in debtor's prison. And what's weird about the debtor's prison is that once you get thrown in debtor's prison because you owe a debt is you can't ever pay the debt because you're in prison so you can't make enough money. To ever, so you are therefore ever, you have a debt literally that you cannot pay ever, ever. But we're not talking about money in the Lord's Prayer. Um, that's not the exchange. We're talking about human interaction and personal relationships, wounds inflicted, promises broken, feelings hurt, sometimes in a marriage, it's not hard to find, uh, between spouses, there's a debt that hasn't been paid by somebody here, sometimes it's between siblings, between friends, between people groups, we talked about Black History Month, sometimes these debts we owe are between people groups, sometimes they're between nations, and there's this one simple rule, <laughs> uh, you owe a debt, you pay your debt, um, Sometimes with interests, that's a fascinating thought in the context of relationship. I mean, even a frightening one, I think, um, to think about that, that in the context of a relationship, like a marriage or a friendship, because you may actually have an emotional equivalent uh, of, a, of a loan shark. In your, you might be married to the emotional equivalent of a loan shark, um, because even though you owned what you did was wrong and repented of it and made amends for it, you're still paying interest on something that happened 20 
years ago, so you're in debtor's prison even in your marriage. Um, you have a debt you cannot pay. They won't ever let you off the hook, not for that. I thought of that last week when Doug was talking about that illustration of a hook, and it was kind of easy to put a name on there and da-da-da, but when you're on a hook like this, you're in debtor's prison. It's just an incredible thing, and it happens all the time. This thing about forgiveness is a really big deal. It's a deal breaker for a lot of relationships and churches and people groups, but maybe you're that person. That's the other thing to wonder about. Who's charging the interest? The emotional equivalent of the loan shark might be you who's keeping somebody in your debt. So they keep paying and paying and paying, not because you're bad. You're not you know, extracting that because you're bad necessarily, but because you were hurt. You were really, really hurt. Uh, you have a right to be hurt and keeping them in your debt. It's not a conscious thing, but it kind of gives you some control and it protects you just a little, um, but you're going to pay. And it's not even conscious. Happens all the time in marriages and families and churches, all of which means, among other things, this, this forgiveness thing um, touches everything. I mean, it can, the lack of it, the understanding about the walking deeply in it can uh, expand the life of a church. It can kill a church. And it's also, um, this forgiveness thing, a complicated thing. Um, it's a dicey, confusing thing. It's often a layered thing. Indeed, it's never as clean or clear as an exchange of money. Pay us, we forgive us our debts. Maybe that's why other translations went with sin or trespass because you owe me 10 bucks. You pay 10 bucks. It's clean, it's clear, and it's fair, it's right. You made the deal, pay your debts, right? I mean, we'd all agree with that. So it's kind of like eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 10 bucks for 10 bucks, except it's not the same, is that? Um, because as followers of the way, and the way is Jesus' way, um, we're being called to something higher, something bigger, something more. Indeed, I think we've all heard this saying, um, that if we live that way, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, ten bucks for ten bucks, um, uh, we'll all be blind and toothless eventually. Jesus actually said it this way. Um, and, and, and this stuff, these were just head scratchers for most people, still are today, unless you unpack them a bit, Matthew 5, 38, he says, you have all heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And in that culture, that was a thing of restraint. I'll explain that in just a minute and made a lot of sense. But I say, if you hope to break the cycle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, retribution and revenge, and the cycle it needs to be broken is you owe a debt, you pay the debt with interest by the way, then something more is going to be required to break that cycle, something higher, more effective than eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Quick word about eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Because when that way of doing things um, was introduced to the story, I'm talking about the story of God in the Old Testament, the eye for eye and tooth for tooth thing was actually a step in the right direction. Some of us might hear that, and if you, literally, if somebody, you know, you poke you in the eye, I poke you in the eye, stand right, I got to poke you in the eye, now because you poke me, it's kind of barbaric and weird. It was really a good thing. It was a step in the right direction in the Old Testament. Fascinating story about this in Judges 15 about Samson, who that word actually means knucklehead. The word Samson does. Anyway, um, 
provides a chilling example, actually, of, of this, the, the cycle of retribution and revenge, a cycle that we are maybe more aware of and live in and breathe the air of more than we know, but the cycle, obviously, you owe me, uh, you pay me with interest by the way, because Samson's only tool was interest. <laughs> like, uh, you did something to me, I'm going to do something to you, and I will add to that quite significantly. So if you hit me, not only will I hit you back, you can be guaranteed of that, because that's eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You hit me, I'll hit you harder. You poke me in the eye. Don't worry about your eye, I'm cutting off your head. So it's payback plus interest. And that cycle continued in Samson's story. In Judges 15, you can read it, it's kind of bizarre actually, as, as, until he finally set fire to the Philistines' fields, all of their fields, tied the tails of foxes together, remember that, tied, got them on fire, and they all went running, burned down the fields, burned down all their vineyards, which meant their entire economy was destroyed. Indeed, it says in verse 8 of Judges 15, he slaughtered them ruthlessly rather than nicely. You can't slaughter people nicely. Anyway, not really. Yeah, I'll be here all week. Um, he slaughtered them ruthlessly because every time they hit, he'd hit harder and harder. And in response to that kind of madness, there came this law in the Old Testament um, for the purpose of restraint. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, meaning, okay, but, 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 just one eye. You don't get to take two. If you get one eye poked out, you, got, you can only do one eye on them. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just one tooth. No interest anymore. Step in the right direction. For the purpose of restraint, but that cycle continued throughout human history. Still living with it today. You see it on the front page of the newspaper this morning in the context of marriages happens, in the context of families it happens, in playgrounds at school with little kids and churches and synagogues and even between nations. This is not just an individual thing, though it involves individuals. This tears nations apart. You drop a bomb, I will drop ten. And we'll call it just war theory and redemptive violence. And we uh, are just in doing all of that. Have you heard of the story? Probably have of the young mom uh, whose kids are playing in the other room and they're playing nicely when all of a sudden she, hear, she hears the blood curdling cry of her little two year old girl. She runs in and tries to figure out what happened. So she asks the older brother, What did he do? He says, It pulled her hair. Uh, why? Because she pulled mine. Well, honey, she's two years old. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know how that feels. And the little eight-year-old says, she does now. <laughs> she knows now how. She knows how now. Anyway, and we understand that, right? Um, but into all of that, Jesus came with a different way. And it was a head-scratching way, I'm telling you. <laughs> because the way of retribution and revenge with interest... It wasn't working. It still doesn't. We needed something more creative, uh, more more redemptive. But he said strange things, like I said. They were head-scratching things that people had never thought of. Like, In fact, right after he says, you've heard it say turn, uh, you've heard it say I have a right tooth for tooth. I say turn the other cheek. That takes a long time to explain, but that's, uh, whatever I'm trying to establish, just, that's a weird thing to say. Who's going to buy that? Um, if someone says, walk a mile, walk two, if they want your coat, give them your shirt, dumbest things you've ever heard. I mean, they're in the Bible, so like, that's really nice. I wish, you know, anyway. Um, and he also said this, Father, forgive us as we also forgive 
Because we're not just sinners who need forgiveness. We are that. We're all about that. I know how much I need forgiveness. But we have been sinned against. We're not just perpetrators. We're victims as well. We have not just harmed people. We have all been harmed by people. Not only are we debtors, but we have debtors too. People who owe us something. An apology would be nice. And it's probably true. An apology would be nice. An apology would be appropriate and right and good. But if the cycle of revenge and retribution with interest is ever to be broken, somewhere along the line, we'll need to forgive and be forgiven by following the way of Jesus into this messy and confusing process. Um, When Doug was preaching last week, just beginning this thing on forgiveness, one of the things that occurred to me on the way out, and he acknowledged it as well, was that we could maybe start a journey in, uh, after a sermon like this, but you're not done. There's no way you're done. Um, okay, I forgave everyone in the world during the last song. Oh, you didn't? Um, <laughs> um, if you think you did your own, you know what it means. Um, but it's an invitation into this messy and confusing what it means to learn to forgive a debt, to let someone off the hook. Again, Doug used that illustration of a hook a piece of, and a piece of paper. He called it a step, maybe a first step, the beginning of a journey. Um, but as soon as you start that journey, even think about starting the journey, which is maybe all some of you did last week. Oh, I don't think about that. I didn't really do anything. Um, as soon as you even think about doing it, these questions rise. Like, how do we let them... Off the hook. How do I just let go of this offense? Do you know what they did? Is another good question. What if they don't say they're sorry? What if they don't apologize? What if they do apologize? Now I have to let them off the hook. So I hate it when they apologize because I like having them. Anyway, I'm, I'm on the hook. So is the apology a get out of jail free card? I don't know about you, but I, these, all these questions just start coming and wondering, and I just kind of keep it out here and sing songs about forgiveness and never enter into how messy it is. I mean, what if they minimize it? If I come to them and say, this really hurt me, and what if they minimize it or deny it that they even did it, or what if they blame it on me? (laughs) Well, the reason I hit you is because it whatever. Can you forgive someone and still not trust them? Maybe. Um, and, and, And if you don't trust them, I really don't. Have you forgiven them? Well, you obviously haven't forgiven them because you don't trust them. Wait, 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 wait. Think about that more. Um, again, Doug started us on journal last week. When he did, I thought about mine. That's why I started working on this talk and didn't do the other one. So I have to come back next year to do that one. And I'll hold it off so I can come back another one. Anyway, um, but I couldn't stop thinking. And, um, and I, I thought of two things in my life, two major Issues of forgiveness that um, were a process and taught me a lot about forgiveness. And as I pick it apart and just tell you the source, two stories quick. Um, there were learnings in this about forgiveness. Um, what, one, one happened just a few years ago that triggered some things in me that could have easily derailed when Bonnie and I think, Bonnie's my wife, and as we think back on this year and a half of whew, thing in our church. Uh, it could have so easily derailed 38 years of ministry. I was ready to drop the mic, boom, see you later. Um, the other incident, the other story, uh, more conventional and a little closer to home, one that we can maybe all um, identify with at some level that to varying degrees we can all relate to, family of origin issues. 
Because if it's not one thing, it's your mother. You've heard that one, right? Thank you. I'll be here. Anyway. You know, the fact is, in the context of men's work, um, men's retreats, John Eldridge, the stuff that John does in Richard Rohr, there's a lot of talk about the men's spiritual journey, and I love that stuff, but there's a lot of talk, and I remember when this was really kind of just beginning to be talked about a lot about the father wound, and, um, and I know all about that, and I think that's a really significant thing to be dealing with, and I deal with that as well, but not so much talk about the mother wound, um, because a mother wound, uh, especially if you're a guy, is a very manly wound. I mean, she hurts your feelings? <laughs> Give me a break. Um, it's your mom. So I don't have a mother wound. Um, I just can't stand being around her. That's all it is. Um, and I'm not sad about that. I'm mad about that. Reel it back in. There's some learning, there's some teaching. I just gave you some teaching right there. Because um, what got me to move toward my mom in forgiveness wasn't my desire to forgive her. I became real aware of how ang- I'm an angry dude. Oh. And also, and that's spilling out on people I don't want to be mad at, like my wife and my kids and what's that? And holy moly. And, and I, I remember going to counseling and my, I, I kind of hit the wall my thing was, what's my books? Gasping for breath, yeah. It's not about COVID, and um, it's, about, it's actually informed by when I hit the wall, 12 years into my ministry, the church was exploding in a good way, and I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden, all the, all the issues of my life that I've been ignoring because we look successful came and said, you can't ignore me anymore. And um, one of them was this thing, uh, because I, I, told my, I, I was angry about the church, didn't think you could be a healthy person and part of a big church at the same time. You had to pick a healthy person. Well, we're not going to grow anymore. Really give myself to the church and work or whatever. You have the same thing if you're a corporate guy or gal. Um, well, then I'm going to lose my family, and I was angry about that. But nothing could get me in touch with anger quicker than just thinking about my mom. Poor mom. So I started, I started going down that road. Okay, what's that about? What's that about? Uh, I talked to my brothers and my two sisters and... Mm, yeah, they're angry too. And I could give you all sorts of reasons. It doesn't matter. Um, but here's another learning. One of the first major things for me was, was supernatural. There was a gift God gave. Um, it was a Lee Payne conference. And they were talking about inner healing and blah, blah, blah. And I just, some things just started stirring in me. And I went for prayer. And some people I trusted were praying for me. And I don't ha- remember anything they said. But I got a vision. And it's so... It was in the context of prayer. So the, the teaching here is actually, yeah, it's important to <laughs> create environments where we ask the Spirit to come and reveal things to us and heal us in ways we don't even know we need. But I got a vision, and it's so, it's so clear. I'm not sure if it's a vision or it's a memory. I don't care anymore, but I can see it in my mind's eye in the picture I have. Now, I'm 40 years old. Picture this as I'm getting this vision, if you will, and I'm looking at myself um, as a toddler, and I can see myself on the floor, as a toddler, just sitting there, and my mom is at the sink back there. And very significant, I mean, I didn't unpack this till later, but our backs are to each other. So I'm sitting on the floor, um, just being a dumb two-year-old or whatever, and my mom is at the sink, and she's weeping. And I mean, this is like happening in a three-second period of time, and as a 40-year-old, I just knew why. I knew why she was weeping. One, it was me. 
I mean, she had, she grew up with uh, three sisters. I was the first little boy she'd ever been around, and I had ADD. You, I know that's a stunning thing to um, realize. So, I mean, she's just going, who's this? What is this thing? This kid. She had no idea what to do with me, and she's a pastor's wife who's living in this environment that if she doesn't look good all the time, she's in all sorts of trouble, and she is weeping, and it was, the, the gift from God was the first time in my life I felt compassion for my mom because she was like a 35, I'm a 40-year-old man getting this vision, and my mom in this picture, if I do the math right with me being two, she's a 35-year-old woman in my church that I would have nothing but compassion for. And I did. First time ever. And, 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 and so, so all of a sudden I'm saying, it's okay, I'll tell you, if you're going to do some of this stuff, you better get God involved in some of that work. And, and I'm not saying you'll get that kind of vision, but that was one of the things I got. And I did some more work around that and unpacked some other things. And one day I was speaking. There was this, this uh, speaking thing down in Florida because they had, my mom and dad had moved to Florida and retired. And, and so I, when I, I just made part of my trip down there to meet with my mom and dad. And I can still see where we were sitting. And I said, Mom, geez, um, I didn't know how to break it. You know, I didn't want to come with a list of, you know, when you did that and then you did that. There was just no way. Uh, I just said, Mom, would you, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Because I held you out here my whole life. I just, <laughs> and, and I didn't hold you out there. I held my wife out there too. And I held people that was, uh, I survived in, I didn't tell her all that. It was just that I held you out here and she started to cry. And she said, hey, you know, um, um, I could feel that. I could feel you doing that. You never sassed me. You just ignored me. And I'm thinking, I do that to other people too. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, um, and then she said, I, I did the best I could. And, and I said, I know, Mom. Um, and she had no idea the damage she'd done to my brothers too. Um, and I had no desire to give her examples to prove it. Um, but I did tell her this. I said, Mom, I just wanted you to know, I ADD boy, you know, I'd be sitting in church and you're with this beaming face watching dad preach and you'd be, but I'm squirming so you're pinching my leg and sometimes it would bleed and um, it drove me. <laughs> I want, you know, I was trying to be good more. I was trying harder than you knew to be good. She started crying again. And then she told me a story of a time when she was trying to be helpful and be good in her home with my grandma and grandpa and her mom and dad and so to be nice, she cleaned off their dresser, and in cleaning off the dresser, she knocked something over, and it broke. And my grandpa, my grandpa took my mom when she was a little girl by the ankles and banged her head on the floor, and I all of a sudden I'm going, I get it. Didn't make everything right. Didn't make everything okay. She never banged me on the floor, but, but, but all of a sudden it made it all, she became more away. My mom, I'm going to say something weird. Well, she is a human. She became human to me. And I let her off the hook. She, she, I just released her. But here's the deal. The person who got set free, it's just something I note. It was me. Because she didn't hook me anymore. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you. I mean, she would ask me about the weather, and it would tick me off. Sorry. Um, I'm really not a good person. It's really fun to be retired and just tell you everything. <laughs> not telling you. It would just, it would, and I'm, I'm going, it doesn't, she didn't hook me even, and she didn't, she didn't quit saying goofy things. 
<laughs> he still did. And it didn't hook me. I just didn't, I, yeah, mom, I love you. It's okay. And when my dad died, I was so happy that we had done that work because I could be with her. Um, this is a big deal. This forgiveness thing. It isn't, but there's no magic wands. There are supernatural components, but the, 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 the noticing was that um, something had gotten delivered. Um, and that's another teaching. Sometimes uh, this forgiveness thing just happens that way. You'll notice. And this might help some of you. But my son, Caleb, several years ago, um, went through a, just a horrible, I don't think just a good divorce, but he went through a very painful divorce. And uh, the, the part I remember most is when they discovered there was an affair in her part. And, and he was staying, he came and stayed with us to kind of deal with all of that, deeply wounded, really angry. And every Tuesday night, I would meet with, Steve, with Caleb and a couple of my buddies and his buddies, and we'd have the cigar group and just talk about whatever. And sometimes it was him, and um, he, he wanted to forgive her and kept wanting to forgive her, and time went on, and we kept talking and praying and being together. And one day, he just said some stuff about his ex, and everybody in the group looked at him and said, you've forgiven her. What do you mean? Because he never used the word, I now forgive you. Uh, well, um, because you, you, every time you talked about her, you just, would just get angry and there's, that's gone. And he noted, he goes, I have. I have. And just noticed other things five years ago. Um, the context, this happened in our church in the, uh, with someone that I trusted who used their authority. They were in a position of leadership and position to push their own agenda, uh, thereby undermining and diminishing some other very significant ministries and did a lot of damage to those ministries and to some of those shepherds of our church. Obviously, I can't give you details, but it was a damaging thing. When confronted about that, things got spun like they sometimes do. We would never, I can't believe you would even think we would do such a thing. Um, and it's kind of get turned back on me and, and some of the elders. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been in a dynamic where you become the problem for saying there's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> that happens. Um, and it's slow. Everybody got confused. Like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. No, they weren't. They weren't. Um, the point is, though, unraveling all of that. Uh, took a lot of time. Eventually, everything that was hidden and that was that bobbing and weaving, that's, well, baloney there. That's not the original Greek, but um, <laughs> the bobbing and weaving is hiding. And, and, and the shadows and the shifting shadows is uh, baloney again. Um, but one day, the work of God is always to reveal everything hidden. That's the movement of God. Um, and all the shifting shadows designed to confuse were exposed in the bright light of truth, ultimately, uh, which is what has to happen, because God is light, and in him there is no baloney at all. And, and, and when God's at work, things that are hidden will be revealed. And that's a good thing, but it's sometimes painful. But it took a long time, and because it did take a long time, even more damage was done, because they were just allowed to be do what wolves do when they're in a flock. They devour it. <laughs> so they were allowed to keep doing that for a while. <sighs> and then it all settled and it was revealed and it was taken care of appropriately, but now we have some work to do, right? And um, forgiveness work. 
And I'll never forget, it's about five years ago, Bonnie and I, uh, when you live in Minnesota, this would make more sense, but we would do, because now I come to Arizona, but we did our yearly go to Florida in the spring because we would go to Florida like 13 years in a row, I think, at the end of winter as a gift. You survived again, and so you get to go to Florida. That was, well, four more weeks, four more weeks. And we went, I remember going this particular winter, but this, this spring, but we brought a book with us. And I don't know when, Bonnie, but at some point, we just, we just, I'm going to bring out this book. We'll read the book and talk about how we worked this thing. It was a book by Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who's the head of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, dealt with apartheid in South Africa, genocide in Bosnia and Rwanda. Um, and he wrote a book called The Book of Forgiving. Best book I've ever read on this issue. And it helped us navigate forgiveness um, when damage is done. Navigating forgiveness when the person who you're trying to forgive let off the hook has never owned what they did, couldn't or wouldn't acknowledge what happened, but we, we, have, to, we have to forgive. Um, I don't want to carry this anymore. Um, in Tutu's book, he talks about four, a fourfold path to forgiveness. I'll just give them to you quick. First of all, you have to tell a story. This is helpful here. You have to tell a story. Um, nothing gets healed in the dark, ever. Um, that's especially true with trauma. I know you know that's true. Abuse, rape, torture. Um, there's so much shame and fear around those things that they silence us. And, and, and so if you're ever going to be able to forgive even some of the most heinous things, like rape or abuse, you're going to have to tell a story. You have to get it out into the light. Second, you have to name the hurt. Um, because there's this tendency that we all have to minimize the hurt. I don't have a mother wound. I just can't stand her. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me go back. Go, rewind that, but you better name the hurt. You're going to have to name the hurt big boy. She did more than hurt your feelings, so talk about that. And um, third, you have, to, you have to grant forgiveness. But the one set free is you. Let me just quote him here. Desmond Tutu, without forgiveness, we are tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound with chains of bitterness tied together, trapped. Until we can forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. When you forgive, you're untethered from the yoke that bound you to the person who caused you the harm. When you forgive, you are free to move, in, move on in your life, to grow, no longer be a victim. When you forgive, you slip the yoke. And your future is unshackled from your past. Listen to this, because this is not just about individuals. This is a nation that gets affected. In South Africa, the logic of apartheid created enmity among races. Some of the poisonous effects of that system still linger. But forgiveness has opened the door to a different future for us as a nation, one that is not bound by the logic of our past. The new South Africa is a country that is being created, that is being created. Because laying down the burden of years of prejudice, oppression, brutality, and torture, some extraordinary, ordinary people had the courage to forgive. <sighs> Holy cow. Takes your breath away. Fourth thing is deciding, this is big, you have to decide whether to renew or release the relationship. The reason this is big is you need to know that's an option. To release that relationship or renew the relationship because we have to forgive, you don't have to trust. Trust 
Forgiveness is for free. Trust, you've got to earn that. You might need to build that back. I was, some time ago, I was at a, a thing at Teen Challenge. doesn't matter what it was, but these, the kids I'm talking to have all come out of real difficult situations. Gal came up to me in tears, trembling, scared. I can't forgive my husband. And then she gave me the list of things he had done and reasons why uh, she, she wanted to. You know, she, but I can't, don't tell me I have to forgive my, uh, my husband for all the adultery and the abuse. Um, and I say, hey, Lou, you have to. But, but I, I would never say that unless I had time to talk to her. I wouldn't just say that. But I did have time to talk to her. I said, you know, let, me, let me, you know, just grab you by the face here. Um, but you, but trusting him, you don't have to do that. Because he was putting pressure on her. Yeah, I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, that was very convincing. I trust you now. <clears throat> mm-mm, mm-mm. That could take some time, a long time. And somewhere along the line, you may need to decide to renew that relationship, but it won't be going back to the old one. You need a new relationship um, or release. And releasing doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them, but um, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. That's a nuance. You've got to know. You've got to know it. Um, in the situation I described with this person in our church, we release a relationship, and now, now it may sound like, well, you know, I struggle. You know, like, did you really forgive them? It wasn't because they committed some unpardonable sin. They didn't. It was entirely forgivable what they did. Um, but they couldn't or they wouldn't own anything. They couldn't or wouldn't uh, see anything, which meant uh, particularly in a ministry context, and this might be good for leadership here, I didn't trust them. You know why? If you don't see what you did, you'll do it again. And that doesn't mean you're bad. But I don't trust you with other sheep. I just don't. And so we released a relationship which wasn't for good. There's other ways to reconnect, but not in ministry. And this is not a fluffy thing, is it? It's hard work. Lots of discernment involved. And and all of a sudden now, but you're also protecting the flock and not doing that will kill your church um, family. Um, so we forgave them. We let them off the hook. We really did release a relationship as well and from ministry and wrap it all together. Um, <laughs> so we pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive others also. It just, it just rolls off the tongue. It's so easy to say it on a Sunday. But I, in, I just gave you some of the complexity of it. Um, but before we can forgive, ask Father, forgive us and as we forgive others. Uh, I think a prayer for two things. And I'm going to ask Jim and the worship team to come. Because the two things that we pray for would be this. One is willingness. What I, what I just described to you is hard work. Hard work. So it'd be, I think the first thing would be willingness. And Doug, you were going to read something. And, and the second thing to pray for would be courage. And, um, but in this, this, this forgiveness thing is a big deal, isn't it? Um, so Holy Spirit, come. Doug. I'm going to read a prayer from Desmond Tutu's book that Dave referenced, and it's called The Prayer Before the Prayer. I want to be willing to forgive, but I dare not ask for the will to forgive in case you give it to me and I am not yet ready. 
I am not yet ready for my heart to soften. I am not yet ready to be vulnerable again. Not yet ready to see that there is humanity in my tormentor's eyes. Or that the one who hurt me may also have cried. I am not yet ready for the journey. I am not yet interested in the path. I am at the prayer before the prayer of forgiveness. Grant me the will to want to forgive. Grant it to me, not yet, but soon. Can I even form the words, forgive me? Dare I even look? Do I dare to see the hurt I have caused? I can glimpse all the shattered pieces of that fragile thing, that soul trying to rise on the broken wings of hope, but only out of the corner of my eye. I am afraid of it. And I am afraid to see. How can I not be afraid to say, forgive me? Is there a place where we can meet, you and me, the place in the middle, the no man's land, where we straddle the lines, where you are right and I am right too? And both of us are wrong and wronged. Can we meet there and look for the place where the path begins? The path that ends when we forgive. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.